Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Mark Sangster, cybersecurity evangelist and author. How are you doing, Mark? Oh, very well. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No problem. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. We know that uh, about early in the month, uh, one of my colleagues, Simon Cocking, reviewed your book. But for other than that, tell us a bit more about what, what we know about who you are and what you've done. Yeah, absolutely. So for 25 plus years, uh, I've worked in the uh, cybersecurity and, and IT technology industry with some of the bigger companies like um, Intel and Cisco and BlackBerry. And even and that sort of that lineage goes back to uh, when I was at BlackBerry uh, working on the first um, the first secure devices for the the government at the time, which was uh, worlds apart from what we see today. But you know, it was kind of like early days, right? So um, um, you know, it was this was quite interesting to, to to be able to do that. And then over the last you know decade or so, specifically, I've worked with all sorts of different kind of mid-sized businesses. So things like hospitals and law firms and accounting firms and manufacturers and financial institutions. So not the giant banks, but you know the smaller ones and the investment types of firms. Um, because they tend to be the the targets of these events, and it's it's been over those that period of time that working with them is you know I sort of twig to like what their issues are and and why they become victim to these these groups. So I've started to spend my time working with them to you know educate and inform their their executives and their non technical practitioners to help them you know understand as they say understand the risks to their business and understand the types of steps they need to take to protect themselves. Because yeah, I guess right now, when we're in, the, in the pandemic, you got people who are, who are used to doing things the old way, and suddenly got to uh, do it, revert to remote work and, and, and rely more on technology. And if they're not used to that, how do you educate them properly? Yeah, so interestingly, and I think to some, to some degree, ironically, this shift that we've seen with the pandemic has actually opened up the dialogue around things like cybersecurity, because of course, as they move to a remote work model, that did introduce risk, and everyone who's involved in that, you know, sort of was, a, was almost in, you know, full panic, full response mode, right? So it did actually provide a bit more of an opportunity for them to recognize it, and it opened up, uh, to some degree, their wallets and their checkbooks as well, because they know that they had to invest in specific technology to uh, affect right to, uh, to to provide the support that they needed for those remote workers um, but in a broader sense you know the reality is um, when you do this right you shift the you know you, you do shift the kind of the cyber battlefield from the traditional perimeter right if we think about it in simple terms of like a bank you know we think of a brick and mortar facility with a vault with the money in the vault and yeah. it's you know controlled access and now it's all down on the laptop right it's with the tellers and the tellers aren't sitting behind a protected wall in the bank they're sitting at home and that really did shift um, the way that we not only the technology we need to use, but also the approach, like creating the awareness so that those individual users sitting at home understand their vulnerabilities and understand how to protect themselves. Yeah, because I, I, can, I can remember, I did a podcast somewhere during the week, and I was saying that it used to be in the past, business were worried about bring your own device, BYD, to, to the office. That's right. And now it's he, now he says, that's changed, now bring your network. Because when we work from home, we're not using network that they know is safe and secure. Absolutely. Yeah, I call it, uh, you're right. So we went from BYOD to what I call BYOH, bring your office home, right? Or bring your own home or whatever you'd like. Um, And this is exactly it is this is one of the biggest challenges is yes, you can put security tools, technology on the on the employee's laptop, but you are still connecting back to your, you know, to the mothership to the to the head office per se, through consumer grade technology. So that internet router that's provided by your local um, internet service provider, that ISP, you know, it's built um, with a different sort of, you know, a different thinking in mind, right? So, if, you know, the analogy I use here is that it's not as secure as a commercial grade security system and yeah. those kind of internet gateways. And why? Well, it's because if you think about it, this is like, it's like driving your car, right? So you're driving your average car. Think about the redundancy, the resiliency, the planning and the engineering support that goes into a, you know, like an airline, um, you know, a passenger airliner, yeah. right? Because that thing's hundreds of millions of dollars and there's life at risk and so on, there's a whole different focus on it and they make it far more resilient and it has, you know, triple redundancy and so on. In your home automotive car, they can't afford that. Yeah. Right. So they do. They do the kind of the best thing, and that's it. And people just don't understand that you're connecting to the broader world through uh, effectively an insecure device. Yeah, because I'm thinking if you're basically in the workplace and the same person providing your broadband at home is one of you in the office, I guarantee the modem that you're using at home 
won't be the same when you're on or if it is, you're going to have more technology behind it or more software security behind it to make sure it's, it's safer. Whereas at home, that isn't the case. Yeah, absolutely, right? You have layers of security, not just not just the gateway, but the firewall and, and next-generation antivirus and anti-spam and a whole bunch of other things that are protecting those systems. And at home, you know, in many cases, it's actually the user, um, unfortunately, that causes the issues. And, and that's not to say that they're negligent, but it's more of a case of, you know, many people at the beginning of the pandemic, when I said, you know, how many of you have changed the administrative password on your router, right? On your yeah. end. You know, you sort of get this glazed over look because they don't even know what you're talking about. And that's it, right? So these things are sitting with default factory settings on them that all the criminals know they can effectively look up, you know, they can Google and find, um, which means, you know, they can gain access to those things. They can reconfigure them. They can install scripts to to uh, to track and capture, you know, traffic back and forth and, yeah. and so on. So there's also an educational and awareness piece here where people have to understand what they need to do, the basics they can do to harden, you know, those devices, at least as far as you can. And earlier you mentioned firewalls. So if you're if you're in an office scenario, the firewall will, will block out certain emails coming through. But at home, that won't be the case. No, it won't. And um, that's that's right. And again, you know, those firewalls constantly have to be patched and updated. You know, with new lists of the new, you know, the new sort of malware and attacks and things that we've seen. And that constantly happens, right? Those often those firewalls are calling back to their manufacturer to get those updated lists as they come in as their research labs discover new threats. You know, figure out how to identify them and how to stop them, and then you know send that information, download that information back to the firewall. Well, on a home router, that is not happening. Right, yeah. those devices are not treated the same way. You don't have the kind of technical expertise and resources behind them doing those constant updates. So yes, you should be patching them, but it doesn't have that resilience, and it also doesn't have all the other security experts who are sitting behind that firewall in case things do go wrong. Right? The you know we sort of use an adage about you know prevent what you can and detect what you can't, um, and that's 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 the real trick. Right? Is the earlier you can spot this stuff, yeah. um, the less probability it's going to do significant damage to your business. That's true. Now, getting back to your book, your recent book is No Safe Harbor, Inside Truth About Cybercrime and How to Protect Your Business. Tell us a bit more about that book. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as I said, um, you know, I spend a lot of time with these various different businesses looking at the risks that that face uh, that they face um, day to day and then helping them put the plans together to protect themselves and do that properly, right? And that's really about brokering a conversation between the, the IT experts and, as I said, the non-technical practitioner business leaders, right? The, yeah. You know, the CEO and the CFO and, and the board and so on. Um, and what I found is, you know, there I was, literally standing in a boardroom of one of these companies listening to the the same argument over and over and realizing like if I keep doing this for the rest of my life I'm still only going to get to a small percentage of these companies um, and that's when I thought you know what I really need to tell these stories I need to get them out because they don't first of all they don't think they're a target because you know they think they're a small business they're located in a country you know maybe they think they're in a smaller country they're, or they're in a you know they're not in a capital city and therefore nobody you know no criminal would ever know they exist which is clear, it's just simply not true yeah. um, and because of that they, they don't take the you know they, they don't take the right measures to protect themselves and so that's why I wanted to tell some of their stories not to castigate or to, to place blame but more to examine the factors that went into these events and then be able to give them the recommendations based on those factors to say this is what you can do to protect yourself. And I guess when you're writing the book, you've, you've found a lot of interesting examples of real-life security incidents that have happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think that, that actually became, to some degree, really um, the foundation of what I, what, I, what I do in the work that I've done, which is you know, telling these real-life stories. Because when, it's, when you can relate to it, um, you know, that's when you start to take it more seriously, right? Because, you know, if we talk about some major brand like a big hotel chain or, or uh, you know, TravelX or a bank, you know, a lot of people just glaze over because that's not, you know, that's not them. And they think, well, I'm not a giant bank, so who wants to come after me? You know, and some of the stories that we've seen and some of the ones I talk about to illustrate this is, you know, in, in one case, I worked with a small financial firm um, that was defrauded of uh, 400,000, uh, equivalent of 400,000 um, euros. And the criminals did this by effectively hacking the spouse of the of the of the senior partner yeah. and so she was buying some artwork for the office at the time 
Um, they caught on to that. They, they captured her information in public Wi-Fi. They were able to compromise her email and her bank account. They worked out what she was doing, and they started sending invoices from this art dealer for the art. And of course, they had billed out, as I said, about 400,000 euros by the time this was you know, discovered. Um, and, and it shows that not only is your business at risk, but it's also you know, your family, too. You know, I've seen um, similar things with manufacturers that have lost millions of dollars. And in that example is what we call fraudulent invoicing or fraudulent wire transfers or business email yeah. compromise. That idea, you get the fake invoice, right? And you pay it, and then you realize afterwards that it wasn't one of your suppliers. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the one end. I've also seen things like, uh, in another case, uh, a firm was attacked by a nation state. And you can guess which one yeah. um, in retaliation for a client that they were representing. And they actually publicly in government social media said this, like said, anyone who supports this individual, you know, will, will be punished. And they, uh, they, it was a coordinated effort. They went after them and they weren't just trying to steal information. They got in and we were sort of having to sort of fight them, you know, hand to hand combat. Um, but they were also looking to assassinate the individual and to assassinate the company. And I don't mean physically, but they were doing this reputationally. So they were yeah. planting information. And you can imagine what kind of you know, pictures or videos or files you put on someone's computer, which of course would, you know, get them in trouble with the law, likely, you know, put their family relationship in jeopardy and certainly get them fired. Yeah, I had a friend who once got that kind of thing where somebody sent him an, uh, an email saying, we video video of you doing things you shouldn't be doing. And yeah. if you don't pay, Bradson, we're, we're going to put it on the web. And, and my friend said, go ahead, I don't care. Uh, yeah. nobody's, nobody's going to worry with that. He called their bluff. Most people yeah. don't do that because they're very worried. And the first thing you do is how to fix this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's it, right? They, they know how to effectively evoke an emotional response, yeah. right? So they do things like that. So on a personal level, you know, we're going to publish whatever information that would be embarrassing and humiliating to you. Uh, in other cases, it's, uh, they go the other way, and it's a threat, right? A different type of threat. So it's a, um, a lot of times we've seen professional types of services, so things like doctors and lawyers and engineers and so on. People who are licensed, you know, part of that licensing is if they do something wrong, you can put a, a register complaint. So, you yeah. know, if your solicitor, you know, doesn't represent you properly or your doctor, you know, harms you in some way, you know, there's, there's malpractice suits. It's the same idea. So they will often take legitimate court documents representing those type of lawsuits or litigation and then change the names and send those to, you know, to, to solicitors and to doctors, um, you know, purporting that there's a lawsuit, getting them to click on that, right? So they see this PDF attachment thinking like, okay, which patient, you know, why is, why is this person suing me? And you click on the link, and of course, when you open the, you know, or uh, click on the attachment, when you open that, you know, it's weaponized and deploys ransomware or does whatever else it's going to do that the criminals wanted. So they're very good at figuring out how to, uh, as I said, to get that emotional response from you to increase the probability of you taking the action they desire yeah. um, and, you know, doing it quickly, right? Because then they, you know, they've got you. I guess basically they're relying on human nature and humans always act a certain way. And now that's going to be. And they do, and and they know they know it in sort of in, in two broad ways, right? They know the sort of the, the 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 horizontal, right? They understand every human is worried about their livelihood and their families, and you know their integrity and so on. So those types of attacks of you know creating some kind of public humiliation, they know will work broadly across everyone. Yeah. And then within specific industries, vertically, then they know, okay, what are the nuances or the key factors in, in your business that would create harm and distress? So, you know, I just gave you, uh, you know, I gave you a couple of examples. Yeah. In some other cases that go the other way, another one I, I, I worked with was um, a criminal, or didn't work with a criminal, but I worked with the, 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 the firm, was a company that was attacked by a person pretending to be a student in that industry, yeah. you know, who came along and said, you know, would you be my mentor? You know, that would be great. And of course, this person's honored and does it um, and then at the end you know said well look for academic credit my professor asks that you complete this survey and of course it was a Microsoft Office document which had been stolen by a legitimate academic institution in that field um, and of course when the person opened the you know the Microsoft Word doc right it, it detonated so it was, a, it was the other way of it's not just about scary and threats yeah. it's also about doing the other you know the good human emotions right the playing on someone's ego or you know person just wanting to you know pay it forward right and say you know look I'm a I'm a you know well practiced doctor who's had a good career i'd like to give back to the you know the up-and-coming students to you know keep my you know keep my industry alive and i guess for example right now because of the rise of cryptocurrencies it's a lot easier for the criminals to get the money and not be found a crazy yeah i mean they 
for the most part, they work with impunity, right? So yes. if we, you know, if we think about that, right, if you put on the sort of policeman's, policeman's cap and you think of, you know, means, motives, and opportunity, um, the reality is they've established a, a strong ecosystem, right? So the, you know, the motive's dead obvious, obviously, it's stealing money. Um, the means are, are never easier than before because we have, we, we're seeing a lot of criminal gangs and ransomware gangs working together and they use their collective expertise. So the ones that say are really good at writing, you know, um, authentic looking emails, you know, for phishing schemes, they'll produce that and provide that for service. And then the other ones say, I've got a really good piece of malware that, you know, has a high rate of delivery uh, of payload. So we'll use yours. And then there's another one over here who says, I've got the nastiest hybrid version of ransomware, you know, so we're going to take your, you know, you, we take your sort of your bomb or your, 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 your weapon and we combine them all. Um, yeah. And, you know, at, at that point, you know, that, that means the means are easily accessible and they're highly successful. The motive of course, is that, you know, they're, they're making money hand over fist. It's bigger than, you know, drug trade and human trafficking. Um, and then the, you know, that last piece is opportunity. Well, the simple reality is most of the time they operate with impunity. They operate either with government support or they operate, in political regions which are destabilized and, you know, they know Interpol isn't coming for them. Yeah. And also, I guess, at times, you've seen scenarios, like I'm thinking of, of the major Sony hack a few years ago, where mm -hmm. basically somebody got into that and then they found out that uh, on one of the uh, servers was a was a file called password. So every password on the system was there. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. And um, that's, you know, that's not a surprise, right? And, and in fact, we've seen some changes um, to uh, uh, password standards and recommendations that actually came out this year. So, you know, we've always had that notion of, you know, make sure it's so many character lengths and uses a mix of alphanumeric and, you know, uppercase and lowercase and some special symbols. And now, and, and you know, and then to change them every three months. And that's where you get things like password lists get created. Yeah. Well, there's all sorts of new tools, right? So number one, now the recommendations say, don't do that. Use long strings that are in, uh, intuitive and memorable. So, you know, perhaps you use a quote from a movie or something along those lines, yeah. right? Um, the other piece of this is, of course, there are tools and technologies that have evolved. Um, so things like uh, privilege access management and identity and access management tools that change that game where there's no notion of, you know, I'm Mark Sangster and I have a specific password. It now becomes I'm Mark Sangster and depending on what I'm doing and what system I'm accessing, I have very specific privileges and I may have different ways of accessing that system. And when you create that complexity, that's a great way of solving the problem. And A, getting away from having to have a file called passwords, and B, just getting to a point where it's a lot harder for criminals to um, harvest those, you know, trick you into giving up your credentials and then being able to use them to move laterally through your organization because you use one password for everything, you know, whether it's your email or logging in through a VPN and so on. Or also maybe going by using it via biometrics. Biometrics, yes. So any kind of multi-factor authentication is also now critical, right? Yeah. Which is, is absolutely, I mean, you have to be using that. So if it's basic two-factor authentication or it is a multi-factor, like as you say, using biometrics, the possession of a, of a secondary device um, and, and so on, right, is, um, is absolutely critical. In fact, you know, when you do these things too, you know, good password hygiene and using multi-factor authentication, it's amazing. You know, I think you probably reduce your risk by about 80%. Um, and it's very much a, you know, you don't have to outrun the bear, right? Yeah. It is that it is that scenario. So if you're a bit more hardened, the criminals are going to rattle the doors and the windows to see what's unlocked. And if they can't get in, um, they will move on yeah. because, you know, the, the reality is there's going to be a softer target down the street that they can break into. Yeah, because for that, well, I've, I've got a MacBook Pro and also got an Apple Watch. And when I'm uh, on, on the computer, if I'm leaving five minutes and come back on and look at passwords, if it sees my watch is on my arm and knows that I've locked it, that it, the one, and it knows the watch is it, it, is linked to me, it will unlock my uh, my computer, which is which is great. But other guys aren't actually doing that kind of stuff, and they should be doing that kind of things. Yeah, so you know, I, I do think there's a, I do think there's a good advantage to some of those things because, of course, it means a you have to be in possession of the watch, and b you also have to have the same biometric signature yeah. right to validate that it's you you know, wearing that watch, right? And those kind of things, I think, start to, you know, move some of the complexity of passwords out of your head uh, and into something that you just, you know, effectively, you know, have as, as part of your, you know, existence in your body. Um, so it's, it's less of a sort of an uh, uh, intellectual um, Olympics. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think the other part of this, too, is that you're seeing, as you're talking about these consumer-grade devices, you're actually seeing the downshift of a lot of this sort of multi-factor and 
sort of techniques and, and technologies used in corporations coming down to the consumer. So, for example, you've talked about you know Apple Watch and MacBooks. So iTunes has multi-factor authentication, right? Yeah. Where you can you can turn that on, and you know when you go to log into your iTunes account, it will send uh, a code to a secondary registered device, like say your phone or your yeah. watch, and you have to be in possession. Um, you know Amazon, Google, they all do this now, and I think uh, you know that's a big recommendation to anyone listening is turn on those those services. And for me as well, if, I had a, if I'm on a different uh, Wi-Fi network, for example, it will then tell me, send a message to my phone saying, is this you that's doing this? Because mm-hmm. it notices you're not on a normal network you normally use. Yes, um, absolutely. So that's um, behavioral uh, um, analytics or anomaly detection, which is exactly that, right? They're sort of profiling you to a degree to say, well, generally you connect from a specific geo region. You're doing it on yeah. this device through this ISP and so on. Um, and and it, it, that's not nefarious, right? Because it's when you, you start to do something out of band, like, well, this is interesting. Now you're connecting from Germany or you're connecting from Africa yeah. and you're on a new device. It will flip you those alerts. And those are, those are important to pay attention to because they're a very simple trigger that can tell you if something's fishy. So like, if you look at it and go, hmm, I don't own a, you know, I don't own a galaxy S 10. Yeah. Um, why was my account being accessed through that? Well, that should tell you but, you know, someone's trying to go at you, right? So get into your system and, you know, change your password and, you know, and have a look around. Is anything, you know, fishy? Are there any weird charges on your cards that are, you know, downloads of movies or apps or something like that that you can, you know, quickly detect? Because uh, at times your phone has now been used more and more uh, as, your, uh, as a way of verifying who you are. But if that's hacked or stolen, then how secure is it going to be? Yeah, and this is a good point, right? Is, you know, I think most people, there was one point, there was a survey, I think it was like, Two years ago, you know, where where the average consumer said they'd rather lose their wallet than they would their phone. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's sort of true now. Now now when we think about it with cloud based services, losing your phone is really just the physical device because you can you know assuming you can you can afford another one, you can walk in the shop. Yeah. You know, and and within an hour you're you're back up and, and going. But that said, it's really our identity and it's our gateway to the world. Um, and, and so it is more important than our wallet. And as we continue, we're already seeing governments saying things like they're going to move, um, you know, licenses, for example, passports, make those digital. So, you know, this is just a continuation of the shift to digital. I mean, most of our money, you know, I see banks, you know, all these banks worry about their, their physical presence, right? Like I said, you know, locking doors and security guards and more clever combinations and yeah. thicker vaults. And yet it's like, but yet 90 something percent of all the money moving around the world is virtual and digital. So, that's not where the majority of the crime is going to happen. You know, that's not the, the touch points you need yeah. to worry about. It's all the stuff floating around in the system that's become so complex, it's hard to determine whether or not something is legitimate or uh, or, uh, or illegitimate. Yeah, at times if you get your phone stolen, the first thing you're going to do is go online and change your passwords. And at times yeah. they will ask you, it will send a code to your phone to change it. Right. If you've got your phone, you can't change it. Yeah, and that's where um, it's good to do, again, like for you, like where you talked about having a MacBook, where if you set up uh, secondary devices, you can go on to your MacBook and you can poison pill that device, Yeah. right? So you can instantly report it stolen and you can shut it off. Now, it becomes, there is still ways to, to hack into it, um, but it becomes significantly harder. And the other big, you know, big important piece of this as well, in, in the, that scenario you just gave, is making sure on your laptop and your phone that you've turned on encryption, right? And those are native in the operating systems. And it doesn't matter which one it is, whether it's iOS or it's, you know, it's Android yeah. uh, and so on. They all have it. Turn those things on because at least at that point, it means without, um, without whatever authentication that they require from you, they, they can't get to the files, right? And that's, you know, they're, they're all encrypted. As I said, they're all encrypted. Um, and if nothing else, it's yet another delay that you're putting in the system before they get to a stage where they can defraud you. Yeah, I know, and, and for example, in the, in the iPhone, you have 10 chances to key in your password before it, it shuts down. Now, I've, uh, uh, my password, it's, it's six numbers long, but also I've got to work and lock with my face. Now, if someone yes. steals my phone, it's going to be harder to, to, to hack into that because of that. But it's still yeah. possible. It is possible. Like at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, if these criminals want into you or at you or your accounts, they're going to get there, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think this is it. But you know, for the most part, you're not you as an individual are not generally going to have you know a nation state, a highly advanced and funded um, you know actor come after you. Yeah, companies will. 
right? They will, as I, you know, I gave a simple example of that um, earlier. Um, but, you know, from a consumer perspective, it's back to those things, right? Use the sec- secondary, you know, the secondary authentication like your face or yeah. your, your watch. Um, use more complicated passwords, right? Don't just use the four digits. Yeah. And, you know, and don't share them across services, right? Don't have your one password for your, you know, your email be the same as your banking because just basic things like that make it harder for criminals to defraud you. And I guess like what I, what I, with me, having a longer password on my phone and having my face used to unlock it, those kind of things make it harder to, to uh, break into. So do stuff like that. Make sure you do what, what can be done with what's in your remit to do. Yeah, and that's that's a good point, right? These are things that are readily available to you, and they're free. Like you're not, you know, you don't have to pay extra service or yeah. extra money for these things. So just just do them, right? Turn them on, and it, it is the equivalent of you know, would you park your car in the downtown with you know, and and leave it unlocked, you know, and leave it unlocked with valuable goods sitting in the in the passenger seat? Of yeah. course you wouldn't. Um, and so it's the same thing, right? It is, as you say, right? Use the passwords, use the multi-factor authentication, because doing that is the equivalent of you know, locking your car and parking in a well-lit area, and you know, just some of the common sense things we would all do to protect our valuables. Yeah, and I guess if, if you make sure that if you have a, have a, have a watch or a device that can, that can actually connect your, to your uh, computer, make sure you use that to, to uh, keep it protected. And also, the one thing I find is that if you're using a, a MacBook, you can set up encryption on that very easily. And if you got Windows, it can be done as well. Windows, I think, is $80 to, do, to get that set up on it. But it's free if you got the uh, Windows 10 uh, Pro version. But just That's things right. like that that can be done, and that makes it hard for for criminals or thieves to access your data. It is, and um, and um, there's also services that for companies um, they can work with, um, like Apple and Microsoft and so on. Where what happens is there's an actual recovery key um, that is produced in that in that uh, uh, mechanism that they that they can receive, and then they store securely with Microsoft or with Apple. And so what would happen is if your, you know, your laptop, for example, is stolen, um, they can actually recover a lot of the information back off. Or if you've lost it and you don't remember your password and so on, there are ways of doing this. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is, it is well worth doing. And, you know, and frankly, you know, if you're not using, you know, I'd also highly recommend in these cases to be using the pro versions of a lot of these tools, because like our discussion around things like, um, internet routers and commercial firewalls, the reality is the pro versions of these things get, you know, they get the attention. Um, they are, you know, they're, the assumption is they have higher risk individuals using those systems. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a lot more effort and, you know, sort of care and love is put into making sure that they're secure. The lower end, you know, versions kind of get the, the, the trickle down of, of those services. Yeah. And also at times, if you're using the free antivirus software, maybe you should be looking at going for a paid version because they're the ones that maybe could be more secure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because, you know, antivirus is, is uh, antivirus and firewalls to some degree do what I call, they block the background radiation of the internet. Yeah. So a lot of that, you know, a lot of the stuff, the, the basic malware, the phishing schemes, all that kind of stuff that's been recognized is blocked by that. It's the new, novel, very targeted types of attacks that often come from what looks like legitimate sources that, that go through undetected. But yes, you're right. Um, the, 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 the real trick in antivirus is being as up-to-date as you can. Because as I said, right, as new things come out, they have to identify them, they have to figure out how to profile them, and then create a profile that your computer can recognize yeah. to block it. So you want to go with a service that you know has enough resources behind it that is doing this because you know some of the open source things or some of the free things they're great but it's sort of a you know it's a it's a it's a more of a you know we do our best kind of approach and you know frankly it's that's not good enough right you need someone who's got dedicated funds and resources behind this and it, frankly an army of people working on these things because these larger companies like CrowdStrike and Carbon Black and Microsoft and so on they do have that they have enormous labs who are constantly out there looking at what's going on in the wild trying to identify these you know malicious nefarious things so that they can profile them and they can create blocks for them and also one thing I find interesting is when you get an email Always check the email header because that will tell you actually where it really is from. Yeah, so that's a great point, um, and this is this is a good one. Is, is you're right. Look for obvious things. So those examples I gave you where they targeted um, professionals. You know, if it's supposed to be coming from the government, you know that it will have a specific domain, yeah. right? And um, when it doesn't, 
and it comes from like a Gmail account or a Yahoo account or something along those lines, that's just, just a dead giveaway. So you can hover over any kind of link and it will show you what it resolves to. So, you know, again, if, you know, something comes in from Apple that says, oh, you need to update your password or your, um, you know, your payment method was declined, you know, please log into your account and change it. And there's a link. A, they're never going to send that. So don't click on the link. Yeah. Right. And, you know, they're always just going to tell you to go to your account and make the update. But if you hover over that, as you say, you can look at it and you can, you know, often see what it resolves to, but never click on the links. Don't download the attachments. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're, um, so if your uh, mobile phone service, your, you know, TV streaming services, you know, iTunes and things like that, if you get emails from them that say, you know, something there's been suspicious activity and click on this link to change your password. Those are fake. Yeah. And I've seen it, but like many years ago, back early, early notice, I got an email from uh, one of our in Trinity college and somebody sent me something that I was kind of spam. And I emailed, emailed back complaining. And then I realized later on now looking back in that, when I replied back to that, that told them I, that, that I was alive and I, uh, that address existed and they could spam me to, forever because I hadn't checked the header properly. Yes. This is the, um, we used to get this where, you know, you'd get the, uh, like the telemarketer types and you'd, you'd pick up the phone and it would call you and, you know, you would answer and no one was there and you'd yeah. say, you know, hello, hello, if you, for a few seconds and hang up, they were validating your existence. Yeah. And, uh, it's the same thing. You're absolutely right. So if you trigger, if you respond, um, yeah, they know you're real now and your name, you know, I hate to say this, but whatever information they had about you is going out in a list somewhere that is being sold on the black market, right? Here's, you know, here's, here's legitimate emails. And, you know, these people we think will, um, effectively, you know, you can solicit them criminally and they will likely, you know, respond to you. Yeah. And the funny first thing is that when you're, uh, got a website online, try to make sure that you're, if you have any email address phone number on there, but it can be easily harvested and used by bots to create these lists. Yes. So that's also a great point too, is exactly that is, you know, that's why you see a lot of people using forms and often, um, the, the service providers for those, those hosting sites for those websites will put specific controls in place because right. Bots will harvest them. This is also a critical point as well is, you know, most companies and many individuals, of course, we use a, you know, a first dot last name nomenclature when it comes to our, our emails. Um, those type of emails should never be used for a highly confidential, highly valuable um, system. So, for example, someone who works in IT, it's fine to have, you know, mark.sangster for my, my basic email communication. But when I'm logging in to update a web server or I'm logging in to make changes to a security system, I should not be using that email. There should be other, you know, they should be using a different uh, set of credentials that are not attached in any way to that individual by something as obvious as their name um, because, or, you know, generic ones like admin at, you know, my company yeah. .co because that's also patently obvious and easily guessable uh, because you're absolutely right. Those are the kind of things they can harvest and that's what they can, they can use to, uh, to come after you. And then, and then again, you, when, when that's done, it's too late to get around it. It's happened and uh, you're always going to be in a list that's, that's going around the world. Yeah, and that's the problem, right? It's it's it's, it's uh, you know it's like it's like sort of rumors, right? Once they get out there, you can't take them back, yeah. and you know some people will always hold them as truth. So, um, you know, once that stuff, you know, once it is out there, you're on a list. You don't know how long it will be shared. And the best thing you can do, in fact, your only recourse really is is to is to change them. Yeah. Right. And and you know and, and this is another good point here is why you shouldn't be sharing them. Yeah. So you know don't. For example, if you have your iTunes account, you know, things like a lot of those services, Google Play and so on, they'll offer you family services. So, you know, you can be, you can own the account, but your children, as an example, or other family members yeah. can be tied to the account. So they can still watch your movies or download your music or whatever it might be, but they're still using their own credentials to get in. And that's imperative because um, if you don't do that and you, you know, you, you're the sort of the holder of the key, you don't want your username and passwords being shared around because, you know, I've had this with, I have two daughters, you know, and, and one of them, you know, texts me from her friend's house and says, you know, what's your iTunes account because they want to watch a movie I've purchased. And, you know, my response was like, you know, forget it, right? Yeah. If you want to watch the movie, buy it or, 
or come home. Yeah. But I'm not giving that to you because I don't know, you know, we had a, you know, we sort of had the, obviously the resulting teenage daughter argument out of that one. But, you know, my point was, well, I don't know your friend. You don't know your friend. Maybe a year from now you won't be friends yeah. and you don't know who they talk to and then who they share it with. And then they realize that, you know, we have a collection of movies and all this stuff that they just decide to watch all the time. Like, forget it. Right. Yeah. Um, you just, you can't be doing this because you don't know whose hands it ends up in. Or also, I hate when you go to a website and it says, to make it easy, easy for you to uh, create an account, log in with your Facebook or LinkedIn details. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I am, I am, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of those because uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's to some degree a bit of a one-stop shop, right? If they yeah. get your Google account, and the problem is a lot of times with people, they're using their Google accounts for their Gmail, obviously it is, or, or Amazon, and, you know... Um, uh, you know, once they've got that, they have everything. It's like I said, don't share passwords across critical services. Your email password and yeah. username should be different than your banking. Because once they've got once once they've got that from you, they've got everything you need. Like if you're giving your LinkedIn or, or a Facebook profile, log in mm-hmm. with that. If they can get that, they actually know who you are and more about you than uh, than you might tell your best friend. Like you, like it, it, when you're on on for example, Facebook, you're telling the world who you are. You're telling the things you wouldn't tell your best friend. Yeah. No, it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's incredibly ironic, right? Our concept of privacy to some degree, I think, has been shattered in the last decade, I think, with social media. And, and, and there's so much out there that's public. And what people don't realize is how it can be misused. And I've, and I've been doing this now for the last six months is using yeah. some examples to show people, like, in a Zoom call, I'll have a Zoom meeting with you, and then I'll see what's in the background. Yeah. And then I can say, oh, look, I see you have a picture of... Um, I don't know, uh, you know, of a, of a, of a horror movie or a yeah. sci-fi movie or a, or a football club or, you know, something along those lines. And now I know something about you. I know you're a fan of, you know, whatever player or this team. And, you know, I can, I know that, you know, on your LinkedIn page that you graduated from whatever institution in a certain year. And then I can say, Oh, look, that's about 10 years ago. Great. I can now criminal, I can send you a, a message about, you know, a 10 year class anniversary or, Hey, you know, my friend happens to know somebody at this football club. Um, and you know, and or, or, or um, you know, hurling or something, and I can get you in, right? Yeah. And and you know, and it's just ways of befriending you and creating a sense of trust. Um, and you just don't realize how much of this you actually give away for free constantly. Yeah, it's like years ago you went to one of those shows where somebody would be on stage and you could tell who person was. He says, "Oh, I'm talking to you. your grandfather or grandmother died." But by asking certain questions, or oh, by the way, addressed, they can determine who you are. Same with what you're talking about, the online psychology, how they can do it by seeing a photograph of you in the background or something else in the background. They know basically more about you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, you know, I used to years ago have a, a, a Facebook account and I, and I actually ki- um, I killed it or, you know, shut it down because I had, uh, I had it was a, like a sports, you know, event afterwards, like, you know, a, a sort of like a celebration at the end of the season and somebody was pinning me in these pictures. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and getting people going, you know, and out of the blue, people be like, oh, did you have a good time on the weekend? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, you know, track back to these things. And at that moment, I kind of thought, you know, I can't even control if I put it out there, I no longer have control of what can happen to it. Yeah. So, you know, it's not even what I'm giving up and saying, well, I graduated from this, this university or whatever. It's now how it gets used by other people. Forget criminals. And then, as I said, right, it becomes this multidimensional risk that there's just no way I control. So I look at it and say, what benefit and return did I get from that service? Well, for me personally, I don't. So I disabled it and I don't use it. I use LinkedIn because, you know, I yeah. mean, in a corporate world, you kind of have to. But again, it's a judgment call of, you know, which ones do I have value and get benefit from? And I can take some risk versus the ones where I simply don't. There's no value. So it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. For me, I found recently that Facebook are now doing profiling on what you post. They can tell psychology. Yeah. And also, if somebody was to track you online, they can see by what you post, what kind of person you are. So I decided about a year ago. I was going to just going to post in there about gigs I went to, about food of aging, or just mm-hmm. all kind of weird jokes, or, or any podcasts or writings that I've done, put it up there. So when you see my jokes, one, one minute you're going to see a very, very clean joke. Next minute you're going to see a joke that's kind of rude or dirty. So by doing that, they don't know what kind of person I am. Yes. Yes. It's a brilliant, yes, you're right. You sort of, um, 
intentionally create ambiguity. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this is sort of an interesting point. Now, you know, and I'm going to get a bit Orwellian for a minute. But, you know, you think about how companies like Facebook and Apple and all these other companies are using artificial intelligence to do that kind of profiling, right? Yeah. They're trying to look for connections and correlations where they can to say, oh, look, if you tell this kind of joke, it looks like, you know, 80% of people who tell this kind of joke also seem to watch this movie yeah. or they go to the, they listen to these bands or whatever it might be. Um, you have to understand that criminals can also do that. They're yeah. smart, well-funded people too. So, you know, when do they start using artificial intelligence to do the same thing and start saying, okay, look, people who've posted these types of things on Facebook or do watch these movies are, are have a higher probability of clicking on phishing lures, yeah. you know, and, and, or lures that are designed around this, you know, around some theme about their ego, right? You know, they tend to respond to those things better, or these ones respond to threats better. And so it allows them to profile you as well and figure out what the best means are of getting to you, getting you to, as I say, take the action they want you to, like downloading a file or clicking on something. And the worst thing is when you go on Facebook and you see these, these quizzes and then say, only oh, 2% of people can, uh, can get 10 out of 10. And then when you click on that, it then asks you to set up oh. an account via Facebook so as your yeah. profile, you do you do the quiz, you've you've done ten out of ten, and you share it, and then you forget you've done that. So that profile is with somebody else who you've forgotten about. Um, yeah, absolutely, and you're right. That's a momentary thing. You go on, and and you're right. Now you've created again. You've created another digital finger, fingerprint out there. Yeah. And you, you couldn't, there's no way if we sat down and said to you, okay, what are all the things you visited, right? Like, think about your. Your web browser, if we said, give us 50 of the things you've looked at in the last month, there's no way. I mean, maybe the basics, like you read the paper every morning yeah. or something along those lines. But some of these other things that are fragmentary uh, and very temporal, you're never going to remember, right? And it is the same thing. And you're right. As soon as you go into these things, and, and that's a good example too, playing to your ego. Like, yeah. you know, only, as you said, only one out of 10 people can get, you know, these, these five questions right. Or, you know, only a person with an IQ over 150 can, you know, finish this or solve this puzzle. That is all designed to feed your ego for you to go, well, I'm a smart person. Yeah. So, you know, I bet I can do it. Um, and they're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. And it kind of scares me that I'm looking back in my early years, the amount of services I signed up to on Facebook without realizing it. But now I'm looking back. I managed to find and get rid of most of them that I don't need anymore because I thought that's for print. I don't want people to see or have access to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think too, you're right. It, there was a little bit of, um, you know, often I think as humans, we do this, right? Because we can, we do. Yeah. And just because we can doesn't mean we should. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I think at that time it was fairly freewheeling, right? Like when you think about it, right. None of us really understood the risks. We were able to get that, get there. It gave us a voice. It gave us a forum. Um, and, and those things were good in a way, right. That's sort of whatever they call it, democratization of information. Yeah. Um, now we see down the road, it has lots of benefits. We also see that it has lots of downsides too. Um, but, but you're right, but now it's sort of changing and, and now you really do have to think about it. And then I think, you know, depending on your, um, you know, depending on, on the role you play, the job, your profile, you really also then again have to think about, um, you know, what the risks are to you personally. And, and so what you need to, as I say, what you need to share and then understanding the security of it, right? Like a Facebook type of service, you know, has made many changes to your privacy settings. So, you know, what type of information do you share with what type of cohorts, you know, whether it's, you know, family or for close friends, you know, an inner circle or, you know, what your public, um, you know, your public profile looks like. You get a scenario where you know, go to the supermarket and you, you have a, a card that you swipe in to give you discounts and give you points you can use towards shopping. And it, it, it can tell by what you're buying. It knows basically you could be pregnant, for example. I've heard somebody who had this scenario. They're 18 years of age, living with the parents, and they found it pregnant. Parents didn't know. But what they were buying, they got vouchers in the post for discounts of uh, nappies and stuff yes. like that. Yes, so that's actually a famous, um, that tracks back, or one example of it tracks back to a famous case with a, uh, a major retailer who was doing exactly that. And what they found was in certain areas that people who bought one set of products, which were unrelated, by the way, yeah. um, tended to be pregnant. And or would be pregnant within the next year, and you're right. So they're sending, as you say, they're sending coupons for nappies. And it was actually a father who sued yeah. um, in this one case. And then, of course, it turned out that his daughter was pregnant, right? And it's just like, yeah. um, and that's it. So it shows you the the power of even benign 
you know, kind of information that you think, or I should say innocuous information, like, you know, I've signed up for, you know, a discount or to, you know, learn about your sales and things. Um, and in those cases, what I say with those is, again, use a separate email account, like create, you know, create a, a free, you know, Gmail, Yahoo, whatever it is, service email. Um, and that's what you, if you sign up for these things, it goes to that and you only use it for that because then if it gets profiled, if yeah. it's being hacked or, or targeted, you know, there's a little bit of a, it doesn't matter, right? At that point, who cares? Yeah, I've got um, so what? I've done it about ten years ago. Set up a separate account for that. So when I sign yeah. to when I sign to a service, if I'm not sure if I want to use it much, or if I'm not sure how to handle my data, I just give them this email address that I can use, and that's it. And I don't, I don't care yes. if it's hacked or not because nothing on there is going to tell who the who the real me is. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, in some ways, that actually creates you know what I'd call a bit of a tripwire, right? Yeah. Which is or an early warning because if you're using a password and a Gmail that you know or email that you you don't normally use, you're right. If suddenly you see somebody trying to log into another thing related to you, yeah, um, with that password as an example, or they're hammering away at that thing, you know someone's targeting you because there is no legitimate reason, right? Like because you're not you don't use it for your iTunes or your 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 banking or anything else. No, I don't. I use it for like if I will, if I want to join an online forum, and uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to be in the forum or anything much about it, I'll give them that because that that way, if they're using the my my email address to find a bit more about me, they won't find much at all because they they, they can't go online and do a search and find out right. where address is used elsewhere. Absolutely. And this is a good point, too, is when you think about your information in the sort of the dark web, right? If criminals have stolen your username and your password and whatever information they have about you out there, it goes out. And just like we would in a business trying to figure out how to correlate all these pieces together, right? To say, yeah. oh, you're a fan of this music and you watch these types of movies, you'd likely be a purchaser of this type of product, right? Yeah. Criminals are doing the same. So the more things they can match, right? The more email accounts and usernames and services that they can match, the more valuable those records are. So that's what bad guys are buying. Um, and that increases your probability of being hit. So when they find these sort of, like I said, these, and, and like you said, these dead ends, well, yeah. great, right? In fact, if anything, it's almost, um, you're almost, um, skewing their view of you, right? And, and you're creating more ambiguity, so it does make it harder for them to actually profile you. Yeah, because I'm thinking of, I'm the kind of person that I, I'm thinking, if I'm online, I'm going to be, every time I'm going online and, and acting services, the person who's acting, act, activating is like, kind of like Freud. They're always trying to analyze what I am. But if I, I can make that harder for them, then, it, then it's a win for me. Yeah, absolutely, right? It's, uh, yes, it's like the movie The Hunt for Red October, right? Yeah. You know, it's the crazy Ivan, the turn at the top of the hour, um, you know, to throw off whoever's tailing you. Um, same idea, right? It's, it's exactly that. It becomes harder for them to know truly who you are versus if they see a lot of continuity and a lot of themes across all these different services that you use and, you know, email or um, Passwords, for example, like, you know, they're all something to do with the name of your dog or the, the town you grew up in or something else that you absolutely should not be using. Um, that makes it a lot easier for them to guess what you're probably using, you know, for, for other things. You know, they can infer what you're using for more critical systems like, you know, like I said, banking or any pay-for-play type of services like iTunes and Google Play. And obviously they can tell because if they're using similar kind of passwords, they know you're using the one they easy to remember and not hard long ones. Which is what, that's what, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing. You're absolutely right. That puts you in a category of susceptible, right? Where they say, okay, look, we know this person never uses passwords that are over eight characters or six characters or something along those lines. Um, so that makes them an awful lot harder to guess yeah. uh, and to brute force. Yeah. Because I've seen a couple of times in, in a, you go to a, a company and you see the IT guy has post notes on his computer with passwords because oh, yeah. it's something to remember. And that's a no no. Absolutely. I mean, that's um, that's the problem with these is, is that you're right. As they get more complex, as you're constantly changing them and they're constantly evolving, that's exactly what happens, right? Human beings, we can only remember so much. We can only keep so much in our heads. So what do we do? We write them down um, and, uh, you know, or, you know, writing them down is one thing. Lord forbid you just don't put it in a, you know, you don't have a, an Excel spreadsheet called passwords yeah. that, you know, <laughs> has them in there yeah. um, because that's, that's one of the first things they look for, right? If they get into your, in, you know, if they were able to steal files off your computer as an example, 
it's you know sad. You know, it's it, it seems like it's sad. Like like well, who would do that? But the reality is, a lot of people still do it, right? So um, yeah. it's one of the first places they look. And then you might find the IT guy is so sick of remembering all these passwords. His one is going to be so easy to remember and easy to hack as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's why some of the recommendations now are things like use a long string. Um, for a password, but you know something that's intuitive to you, right? Yeah. So you can, you know, um, you know, and, and don't pick like a, a you know, a movies is one of the ones they recommended, or song lyrics. But you know, obviously they're saying you know don't use like the patently obvious ones because if I don't know whoever the whoever the biggest singer is at the time, you know, decides to do that, um, you know, those are the ones are going to guess. But if you're using something a bit more obscure, um, then, you know, in some ways it's still intuitive. It's easy for you to remember, yeah. um, but it's also complex. The thing is, if they know what band to follow, because you mentioned them on social yeah. media, it's going to be easier for them to, to guess what songs you're going yes. to be doing, using. Yeah, and, and this is it, right? So this is a great point, and that's why it can't be something that's too obvious. Like, so if you exactly, if you're a constant, you know, a super fan of some band, and everything you put on your social media is about that, and your, you know, your profile picture is that band or an album cover or something along those lines, they are going to guess. You know, you know, if you're using Led Zeppelin or something, and it's you know your password Stairway to Heaven, it's not going to take them that long yeah. to figure that one out. Or if you're an Eagles, um, Eagles fan, and they and they they know by the way, it's going to be Hotel California, probably going to song you're going to use. So yeah. obvious. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's too obvious. Um, no, now I do something similar actually. Um, and a trick is something that I used to follow that I don't really have a digital footprint for because it predated that time. Yeah. And, um, yet I can remember, you know, the sequences, if you know what I mean, because it's, again, they're just so ingrained in my memory because of, you know, that, that, uh, you know, uh, whatever support and, and following. Um, but I know no one can guess it because there is nothing, there's nothing in my profiles that in any way would, would, um, would give it away. You know, and there's nothing, you know, on my bookshelf that in a zoom meeting, somebody could see, you know, um, exactly. You know, like I said, you know, if it's a rugby team or something and it's not, yeah. you know, for a rugby team and it's the all blacks and, you know, there's a rugby ball and there's a poster and there's, you know, these things where people start to guess, well, look, okay, he's an avid fan of, you know, and, um, you know, and, and that doesn't take long, right? And I guess I shouldn't have said the All Blacks because that's yeah. probably a, a no-no in Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, but for, for me also, I'm thinking of uh, what I use passwords. Sometimes I'm using Irish words or phrases. People won't know that, might know there's an Irish language. So if you're using an obscure Irish word or phrase, they won't be able to get that because the uh, anything they use to uh, try and crack these normally thinks of the English language rather than, than a foreign language that they haven't heard of. Yeah, that's an excellent point because that's right. If you're using uh, like Gaelic or something, yeah. because um, you're right, they are they are predicated on on the English language, and you know, un unfortunately, right or fortunately, the you know sort of North American culture, U.S. culture, is pervasive in the world, and and that is kind of the defaults, and those are the assumptions that people make. Um, so yes, they're looking for you know. Uh, things that are, are are specific, right? To yeah. uh, or you know to those those cultures, and yeah. And if you're using something like that, I mean, uh, you know, I I don't think I've come across anyone in Russia who's you know trolling about going, oh, hang on a second, you know, <laughs> let's yeah. figure out, you know, let's figure out something in a in a in a secondary language which is only spoken in you know one or two places. That's not where they're going. Or Esperanto, for example. Esperanto, yes, that's right. Yeah, something like that. That's right. That you don't use much. It's so obscure. They want it, and the thing is, not going to spend too much time looking for that. When you, see, you said earlier, there's a better target than the road. Yes, and that's it, right? It's like I said, you don't have to outrun the bear, right? Yeah. The reality is, if you've locked your doors, you know, it's like it's like physical security in your house, right? Yeah. If you lock your windows and doors, that's a good step. If you you know, if you have uh, an alarm system that's monitored or something, that's an even better step. And if you have a big scary dog that barks whenever the doorbell rings, you know, more so the better, right? Yeah. So the more of these kind of defenses you have, the less likely that an unsophisticated burglar is going to break in. Yeah. Um, they are going to move down the road, right? They'll find another house, right? Uh, or another garage or something to go for. Um, and that is, you know, unfortunately, or unfortunately, that is the truth. So, you know, that's why it's worth investing in these basic security um, parameters and basic, you know, security methods because that will eliminate, like I said, that eliminates 80% of your risk. The super targeted stuff, yeah. that's a different story. You know, the Ocean's Eleven, you know, kind of kind of things, right? The, you know, great train robbery, these type of things, that's a lot harder to stop. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, that's a whole other discussion. But you can eliminate the vast majority of the normal type of risk that you face simply by doing things like smart passwords, multi-factor authentication, and turning on encryption on your laptop, et cetera. 
Well, the average burglar mightn't know you, you have a dog in the house. So if you have a system set up where the moment someone goes to your front door, a dog barks, lights go on. They assume yeah. someone's there. They're not going to go and check in that, so they'll move on to the next person. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and this is sort of the point, right? Is this, if you can harden your security just that little bit, yeah. uh, you, you makes you a... Um, it makes you far less susceptible. And, and, you know, and as you said, right, as we talked about, they profile as well. So, you know, if they look at you and they realize, you know, they've sort of rattled the windows a few times and you've not taken the bait, then, you know, you're not likely someone they want to invest in. And, yeah. and that's something, you know, that's a lesson we learned from um, things like early on fishing campaigns where people would sort of scoff at them and say, oh, come on, that Nigerian prince, you know, it had, it had spelling mistakes all through it and, you know, clearly looked like it was, you know, English as a second language and, you know, all these sorts of things. And they sort of turn their nose up at it, you know, and I say it's, it's quite the opposite, you know, so you do because you've effectively qualified yourself out of that attack, right? Yeah. You look at it and you recognize it as, as suspicious, but a lot of people don't, they don't see the spelling mistakes yeah. or they're so interested in the end goal, which is that they're going to get this gold and this money that they overlook all those obvious signs. And that's the person they want to target because they don't want to go way down the line of working this person to figure out that that person's going to, you know, clue in and realize that it's a scam. They want the person who, you know, will be effectively duped that, you know, will get to the end who will effectively turn over their money or open their bank account or whatever they're doing um, because you know it's, it's about success rate right they're only going to invest in places where they know they'll get a return yeah, and I guess for you and brain when it sees a spelling mistake it corrects it in your mind so when she's spelled wrong you don't notice that you notice basically oh usually it's spelled with three L's here she would tell yeah. you don't see yeah. you just see usually the word and then you go on with it and don't realize that yeah that's that's right that's right. And of course, you know, the more I think global we get as well, you know, to some degree that starts to change because, you know, you are working with a lot of people who, you know, um, you know, across different countries. So you, you'll forgive a little bit of that, right? You know, you look at somebody and say, well, I'm talking to someone in Spain. So it's no surprise that, you know, the, the structure of this sentence in English is, you know, backwards, you know, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. The uh, object came before the subject or something along those lines and you just kind of ignore it. But it, again, it's, you know, the bigger lesson and step back and look at this and say, look, be skeptical, right? Yeah. Um, if it's suspicious, it, you know, if it looks suspicious, it probably is bad. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're curious and you don't know, like if something purports that there's this funny activity on an account, then don't use a link. Just log into the account. Look, like, look at your bank account. You know, yeah. are you seeing aberrant charges, um, on your iTunes account? Is there anything there on the Apple portal that tells you, you know, there's been, um, odd, you know, too many logins or something along those lines. And if you're not seeing any of that stuff in the core service itself, then likely that email you received was fake and was a phishing campaign. And also, if you see an email that's written in Pigeon English, that should be a big yes. no-no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is the point, right? If, if, if you pay a little bit of attention... Just slow down, and I know we all do this, right? We make a mistake. Yeah. We're hopping on a bus. We're you know jumping in a in a in a in a taxi or something like that. And it's in those moments that we you know by mistake click on things, and and it's like don't take the bait. So in that moment, if you're about to hop on a you know hop on a bus or walk into a club or a restaurant to meet your friend or whatever it might be, you know in a in a post pandemic world, um, and that happens, if you see something that you know is a motive, if it says oh a complaint's been filed against you or or there's some problem, just don't click on it then. You can't resolve it in those 10 seconds anyway. Yeah. Go into the restaurant, say hello to your friends, and then say, look, I just got this email. I just need to take a look at this because you know, I think there's something bad. And then you read it, and that gives you a time to calm down, take a breath, and realize that it's not real. Or if you get an email that gives you a time limit, like you've got two minutes yeah. to, to get this offer or to do this thing, that's the worst thing that you can get as well. Yes, and that's a good point. So uh, emotion, emotive response is the first piece, and the second piece is, is urgency. Yeah. And that's right. So those complaints I talked about, you know, against a doctor will say you have, you know, five days to respond to this court filing because they want them to, you know, panic, right? Yeah. Or as you say, if it's, a, if it's a promotion and it's, you know, if you click on this in the next five minutes, you'll be, you know, one of the first hundred people who gets, you know, 50% off on some Christmas sale. Um, those things are, 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 are fake, right? And, also, and that's exactly what they're, they're yeah, just trying to dupe you into clicking. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier about a court case, right? They might send an email on a Friday afternoon knowing that the courts are closed over the weekend. So you, gotta, you want to reply now. 
Yes, that's a, on a corporate level, that is actually an excellent point to highlight is um, they, they'll create a different sense of urgency, which is exactly that. They will, they, you will receive that email at, you know, 4, 4 p.m. on a holiday weekend. Yeah. Um, and it will say, you know, why haven't you done this yet? You know, if you don't do this, we can't close this big, you know, billion dollar deal or whatever it might be. They know enough to figure out how to put the pressure on you. And they're hoping that you will circumvent all the controls that you have in place. Like you'll click on it or if you're supposed to, you know, write an invoice or pay an invoice instead of going to your, your boss and getting a second, you know, a second approval because of the, the value of it. You know, if it's a hundred thousand euros or something, you just go and you cheat the system. Um, and that's what they're hoping for you to do. And so the reality is if you stay the course and you stay your controls, you know, and you do what you're supposed to do, you're not going to fall afoul of these things. Yeah. And at the end of the day, your boss should be rewarding you for not breaking all the rules on a Friday, you know, Friday afternoon um, versus, you know, uh, you know, allow or getting you to do those things to conduct business because people don't, right? I mean, real, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, they, they know that's a bigger risk. If that's like Thanksgiving weekend or Christmas weekend, you might suddenly decide, I won't contact my boss because he's, he's having family time. Do contact him and make sure he did agree to this. Yes, and that's it. Secondary authentication yeah. or secondary validation, I should say. So if your boss sends an email and says, you know, I need you to do this by 5 p.m. today or else, don't respond to that thread. Pick up the phone and call your boss or send a separate email to your boss and say, you know, did you, did you really want me to do this? Because they're likely going to come back and say, what are you talking about? And then you'll know at that point. And then the two of you can, you know, can connect and effectively work out that what you saw was, was a, a fraud. And then you can pass on that um, uh, initial message. You know, that can go to law enforcement, go to your security team who can then do the, you know, do the digging and figuring out figure out exactly what was going on. Um, but you're right. You're absolutely, you know, we see this in finance all the time. They're called fake redemptions. And that's, you know, high wealth people who have, you know, large investments and they'll, they'll ring up and say, we, I would like you to send 200,000, you know, euros to uh, the COVID, you know, vaccine yeah. foundation. And, and of course they're fake. And when they provide the wire transfer information, it's not whatever charity, um, it's going to a bank in China or Turkey or Russia or wherever. Um, and, and, you know, and now all those companies all have to operate to have multiple authentications. Like you can't simply receive an email that says that, you know, they have to phone the client. The client has to have like a, you know, a handshake, like a secret code or something along those lines that they can disclose to prove that it's actually them. Yeah. And, you know, and, and unfortunately these are all lessons hard won, right. That we've, or hard learned, yeah. right. That we've had to pay the price, um, to, to, you know, to understand how to, how to work more, um, more securely, but that still doesn't stop, you know, people still break the rules, right. And, yeah. you know, for good or bad, they, they do it and criminals can profit from it. Yeah. Anyway, thanks very much for that. Enlightening conversation, Mark. Have a great, have a great, uh, Holiday Christmas season, holiday season. Good luck next year, and hopefully the pandemic won't will sooner you think of the past. Absolutely, stay happy, stay uh, stay safe and healthy. And thanks so much for having me on your program. No problem. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. You, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye.